which I didn't buy at the five and dime. Now, everybody's got to have dreams. I know we want to all be sensible and have a qualification, but we should all dream a bit, shouldn't we? And welcome to another Tree Lady Talks. Now, when we're growing up, some of us want to be airline pilots, or spacemen, or firemen. Some of us, on the other hand, want to be rock stars, yes, we definitely want to be rock stars. Until parents say no, that is, get yourself a decent qualification and then you can dream about being a rock star and leave the rest of us in peace. Because the problem is that wanting to be something, it almost stops the natural flow of things. And as Yoda would have said, path for you is mapped out, it is. And the path for today's guest has taken him to Santa Monica. I guess he always knew the way to San Jose. Let's find out who he is. And don't forget, it's only their opinion. Hey, so welcome to Matt Wells, all the way from Santa Monica. Matt, it's so good to see you. We haven't seen each other in person for donkey's years. How are you doing? Good, thank you very much. You are a Brit and you used to work for the wonderful London Borough of Camden, a really progressive London local authority as a tree officer. But you moved across to New York. Tell us a bit about your what got you into trees and why um, you've been across the pond. Um, so I, I guess my parents, they were both pharmacists. You know, I'm originally from Gloucestershire, Gloucester, um, or a little village called Nailsworth. Um, and, you know, both my parents loved, loved being in the garden. And, I, you know, I enjoyed working with my, my dad was the main sort of like person always out in the garden. I don't know if he did it to get away from my mum, but, um, you know, possibly or, or to get away from me. Um, but he was always in the always in the garden working. And my mum, my mum would always walk me around the garden and she knew all the plants and they were both, you know, incredibly good horticulturalists. And that's kind of like created that spark in me. So, you know, when you're leaving school, you know, you're 18, and, you know, obviously rock star was right up there. As well, oh, oh, you're almost there. You've got the look. So, you know, rock star was there, but, you know, in, in there, but then I had to kind of, you know, be realistic. Um, I think the careers office was, was telling me I should be a policeman. But anyway, but, but sort of like horticulture, trees, things like that was a kind of a natural fit, mainly because of my parents' influence. So I was very lucky in that way that we lived in a, you know, a countryside, you know, was always out in nature and things like that. So that kind of created that spark. So when it was like, well, what do you want to study? It was, there was that sort of landscaping, countryside ranger. And I always liked the, you know, the, the tree surgeon, the whole thought of tree surgeons. Was, wasn't really sure if I'd ever be good at heights or climbing trees, but I thought, you know, that sounds pretty cool. Um, and that's, you know, so then I went to university I went to Reading University. I ended up studying landscape management there. And okay. we did a, um, it was a sandwich course back then. I don't even know if they still even do landscape management. Um, but it was under, yeah, Richard Bisgrove and Tony Kendall, I think, were the leads on that. And they were just this sort of idea of the fact that, yes, we're good at, you know, the architectures, you know, landscape architecture is good at designing stuff, but who's going to really look after it? And I think, you know, we sometimes have the same, some, some of the same sort of issues. In oh, course. absolutely. Um, so, yeah, so then I did that course and then in my, in my sort of sandwich year, I ended up working for the British Trust of Conservation uh, Volunteers, BTCV. So um, because I, it, it was the it was during the time because it was in the 90s. So it was during the time it was very hard. I think there was a recession. So it was really hard yes. to get any jobs in landscaping anyway, even like intern jobs, like 
certainly not paid interns. You'd have to volunteer. But but anyway, I ended up at the British Trust. Now now called the Conservation Volunteers, and they changed my life because I was going to be an astrophysicist. And I went on the Conservation Volunteer or BTCV holidays in the mid-80s and thought, this is fun. And that, that shaped my career choice. Yeah, no. So I actually, I think that, you know, now thinking about it, it's, it's probably very similar to me. You know, we did, you know, sleeping on town hall floors and, you know, I went round, you know, went around the place trying to cut down oversized trees with bows for, for whatever reason on those working holidays and um, really just kind of fell in love with, um, you know, doing sort of out, outdoor work, you know, whether it was like drywalling or, or woodland management was always my favourite, coppicing, things like that. Um, and, and that kind of, you know, just created that spark in me. And I think I think once or twice we, we met up with tree surgeons that were helping us. So glamorous. They appeared so glamorous with all their kit. And one of the joys about the conservation volunteers is sort of not really washing making new friends, being a bit of a slob. I loved all that. Uh, the food the food wasn't very good, mainly because I was cooking. No? It was literally like chop every single vegetable you could find, put it in a big pot, because there was always some vegetarians on board. Always. And then stir it, and then afterwards go outside and smoke a cigarette. So, and, yeah. But I, it, was, it, was, it was a good time. Um, but those, those sleeping mats were never quite right for a, no, a, a no, village no. hall before. No, no, yeah, now they would probably have the blow up ones. Um, but no, it was, you know, and that kind of, you know, got me going. So then when I graduated from, um, you know, because before I wasn't a very good student, but then I, I did the, did my BTCV, which is my third year. And that really got me like, oh, wow, this is really interesting. And I got really into it. Um, and then I, I graduated from university and I was sort of like, do I want to be like a countryside ranger? Because I've met countryside rangers through BTCV and um, they were always very nice people and very knowledgeable. And they seemed to have a very a great, I know they never got paid very well. Um, and there was incredible competition for those jobs, but um, they always looked yes. that was like, wow, that's a cool job. But then there was also the tree surgeons, which I'd met, which I, which I really liked as well. So, you know, when I left, I kind of like, I joined my local, you know, tree company, which was Tree Maintenance, which is still going. It's in one of, I think, Arb approved, AA approved contractor in, 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 um, in Stroud. Obviously now the um, AA is just down the road, but you know a very very good contractor under Jeffrey March. You, you probably knew well, he he was the created that company. I think he was one of the original. What's that? That Royal Forestry. Um, the Royal Forestry Society. Yeah. What was there? What was that? They had that high level qualification that was nearly impossible to get. Oh, uh, the professional diploma in arboriculture, now known as the level six. Yeah. So that was incredibly hard. You know, and he he had that. He was very very knowledgeable. Very nice man. Um, and I worked with him, and I, I joined I joined a company um, with under in in Tim Bendel's crew. Tim Bendel is a is a well known uh, chainsaw instructor. He does a lot of the climbing courses. I think he works out of Sarancester Royal Agricultural College a little bit. He, he works out of there. But you know, excellent, very good tree surgeon, super nice guy, real character as well. So you know, and then I was did tree surgery for a couple of years. But then because I had the kind of I was never a very good tree climber, by the way, though I wanted to be. Um, but you know, when, but you know, I tried. I, at least I tried, and I can I can yeah. climb a tree kind of semi with a broken harness, and I can use a chainsaw at heights. And I did my um, I did my ten weeks tree surgery at Meris Woods, so that kind of oh, got me yeah, more into great it. Course. And I did my tech cert, AA tech yeah. cert. Yeah, yeah, absolutely wonderful course. Yeah, with Jack Kenyon, I think it did it with, yeah. with Jack Kenyon and some of the other instructors there. But you know, another an amazing um, person in the arb world. So I was very lucky. I met all these great individuals in my career that kept, you know, kept getting me more and more into it. 
Um, and then because I kind of like then had the sort of um, sort of background with the degree and now I had this, uh, quite a bit of practical experience, you know, it, I was just like, well, you know, I, I can't, you know, I'm not a natural tree surgeon. I could understand that this wasn't, you know, kind of like at that stage without like aerial lifts and stuff. I mean, it's a pretty hard job to do, not a, you know, a job that's very hard to do for the whole career, I would say, unless you go into constructing or you have your own company. So, you know, so I thought, well, you know, what, you know, what about these, these tree officer positions I'd heard about? Um, and I didn't, it took me a while to get to be a tree officer in Camden. Um, I, I worked briefly at Hyder Consulting in Aylesbury as a landscape manager, which was very good because I was working on big landscape contracts. Uh, they were building some, some like of those bypasses and stuff around there around um, Aversh is it Aversham or, or Andovis. Anyway, somewhere around there, I worked on some big landscaping contracts. But then eventually was, you know, incredibly lucky to get an agricultural officer job at Camden under the incredible Al Smith. So um, hero, hero, tree hero. Uh, um, and the nicest man in the world. And yes. um, I got to work with him. And then at that point, it was also Jake Tibbetts was there. Yeah. Then went on to um, Islington. And I think he's now yes. at City of London. Yes, he is. Yes. So very lucky to work with Jake as well. Another very good. Um, Excellent. Arboriculturalist, urban forester. And then there was also um, Pat Richardson there. He's a great guy. Um, yes. Craig, Craig Southwell, who's in Canada now. Another great great guy as well so yeah we had a we had an amazing little team um at camden so it was like kind of the golden for me it was a golden the golden years yeah. of, of, of like being in the uk um and then you know but i and i did that for a couple of years i learned so much about you know databases about the you know the real proper management mm. of urban trees um, and and you know just kind of jump ahead a little bit but camden is much you know i hope that santa monica is really the camden of you know america yeah in terms of, you know, very forward thinking and um, very proactive in its management of its public trees. After Camden, you went to the States and you went to New York. Yeah, I went to New York. I worked for a contractor for a very brief period of time um, and then got back into more sort of what I was doing in Camden, became a forester um, in Brooklyn. I was, did that for a few years. Then I became the program manager for Trees and Sidewalks and then eventually uh, became the director of tree preservation and I was in New York for like 10 years and it, it was great. But um, I, again, I wanted to keep going. And I always, always wanted to go to California. always wanted to work in Los Angeles. Can't think why. Um, and then, you know, was lucky enough to become the urban forester for the city of Santa Monica, which is, you know, it's a small coastal city. It's about eight square miles, but it's surrounded on all sides by the city of L.A. Um, and, and it's, you know, it's run separately from L.A. So L.A. is you know, a very large city that has a very large forestry department in the Bureau of Street Services. You know, it's huge. It's, it's um, but but sort of like, more like Camden is kind of a, like the boroughs run separately. Uh, Santa Monica is the same. It's a totally separate city. It's, it's uh, well-known, very wealthy, has a very rich um, sort of background in environmentalism. I think it claims to be the first city that had a sustainable city plan back in the 70s, I think they wrote it. Um, you know, we have an Office of Sustainability within uh, public works, um, which is always doing fabulous work. So, you know, to go there, it already had like a uh, urban forest master plan, um, which for people who are interested is available online. Very thick document. There was lots of community outreach went into it. Um, it was endorsed or it was um, voted in or approved by city council in 2011. And then in 2017, after I'd been there a few years, we, we updated it. Because I felt that some of the things that I had learned, because I, I, at that time I was finishing off my master's, 
I did my urban forestry and arboriculture masters at Myerscough under, you know, under Duncan Slater and um, Andy Hirons. So, you know, very lucky to, uh, you know, More be, tree heroes. be exposed to those, those two and their in incredible amounts of knowledge. Um, and, and just because of some of the things I've been learning about, uh, um, you know, and also uh, Mark Johnson is there as well. And just and just because of you know those ideas, those those sort of concepts, um, this idea of sort of really you know, and what I'd learned in New York as well about data and metrics, it, it just felt that the master plan was was had lots of good language in it, but didn't really have those sort of like uh, key indicators, those key sort of anchors that you need to actually show that you're delivering on all these great concepts. So that's what we did, um, and and people who've heard me speak in the UK will know that you know I, I'm. I was talking about, and I'm very proud of our sort of sustainability metrics that we have in our in our urban forest master plan. The, the city of Santa Monica, we also have a um, we have a urban forest task force. So we have a, a seven members of the community that we report out to on how are we progressing on the master plan. Um, and we, you know, we used to meet with them every two months, but since unfortunately with COVID, we're still working remotely. We've lost some resources, so things have quietened down a bit, but we still meet, meet with them quarterly. Um, and, and it's really just an update on what's going on operationally, but also showing, showing that we're delivering sustainability, at least in the public realm, uh, to the community. Because they're community trees. There's about 36,000 um, tr uh, public trees in Santa Monica, so about 50% of the urban forest. Um, mostly street trees, we have about 4,000 park trees. And um, you know, it's 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 like a very you know it's, it's always very lucky. You know, we have already had a good. There was already a master plan in place. I helped, or I kind of worked on updating it with my team. Um, and we also have a, a very engaged community because I think some of the time is is an urban forest is really at risk if you don't have an engaged community. Um, so if you've got a very engaged community, they can really take um, things that are problematic and actually quickly escalate them up to the city manager, up to city council. Um, so that that's always been very very useful. I mean, when I first came to the city of Santa Monica, there was a lot of distrust between what had been happening in the city before. There was a lot of public trees cut down for an engineering project, um, and then there was some concerns over the quality of the tree stock that was being planted. So there was, you know, and you know, we've got a lot of people here that really love to get on the case of the city, and you know, I'm, you know, I've, I've been a public servant for years, so people, as we know, people love to say, well, you're lazy and you're overpaid and you know, your pension benefits are too great and, and so on and so forth. Um, but, you know, people as well, are like really, you know, want to make sure that you're doing your job correctly. And that's, and, and you know, much as I, I um, you know, you have to kind of, it, it helps you kind of escalate your game because you have to operate at a high level. You have to be very transparent. You have to have data and metrics to, to back you up um, because it's very easy for people to say, well, every, every tree that you plant is dying. Um, you know, and, and then, you know, we were able to, through doing sort of studies, we were able to show, well, 80% of our trees succeed, 20% die. Um, but then, you know, if you look at other research, 76, only 76% survive in New York, which has far greater rainfall than we have here. Um, and then in Liverpool, only 74%, you know, because I think those are about the only two research papers you can pull on for that, for example. So, you know, so again, that helps get away from people saying, oh, you guys don't know what you're doing and so on and so forth. So it's been very exciting to be in Santa Monica, but obviously I've never, never managed palm trees before. Um, which well, was I was going to ask you, <laughs> yes, um, <clears throat> I've never been to America, let alone Santa Monica. Describe to me um, the treescape. 
you know, what sort of species do you have? How leafy is it? What's your canopy cover? So yeah. what does it look like? So we have, so again, we have about, uh, and I'll just talk about the public realm because that's what we have data on. So we yes. have 36,000 public trees or just under. The most common species is Mexican fan palm, which um, is a very tall, skinny palm, with a very small head on it that doesn't provide us much environmental benefits, right? We, we, we all know that. But the good thing about them is they grow pretty much anywhere with very little water. So sometimes, you know, much as, I, much as we, you know, write them off sometimes in the right, in the, you know, in a place where you don't really have much to give your tree or your palm, they're very useful species to have. So we have a lot of those. We have a lot of uh, ficus trees. So um, Indian uh, laurel fig ficus. Um, we have a lot of those. We're probably very famous in the LA region because we've kept hold of our ficus. Ficus mm -hmm. have the most aggressive root system you've, you know, I don't know how you know, much you know about ficus, but they have an incredible... Well, um, I know, yes, I do know. I've got some problems in London with walls and ficus, actually, oh. creating lots and lots of problems. So, yeah, so, and, I can, yeah, they're like, you know, they're like the, the green, they're like the Leylandii of um, yeah. California um, or, the, or, the, or the West Coast, should I say. And, you know, they have very aggressive root systems. They get into uh, water systems, uh, not water systems, sorry, sewer systems. They break up walls. They lift sidewalks. Um, a lot of cities have been actively removing them because they cause so much infrastructure damage. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, in, Cal in Santa Monica, because we have this sort of environmental, um, you know, wish, we want to be sustainable. We also understand they have massive amounts of, give massive amounts of canopy cover. So mm -hmm. many of our streets have ficus on them. Um, so we have these avenues of ficus and, um, you know, and it's hard not to think they're incredibly beautiful if they're, well-maintained, they completely cover the street. And, you know, if you want canopy cover, ficus is the way to go, but they come with a lot of problems as well. So, you know, we don't remove healthy ficus. We only remove them where um, they're kind of dead, dying or dangerous, or they're becoming, um, they're lifting the sidewalk so much or they're causing so much damage that we can't actually fix that without having to do so much root work that pretty much the tree we would say is unsafe. So that's kind of where we're at with it. We have loads of those. We have lots of magnolia trees, but Ooh, the magnolias um, are, are one of the ones which we've, we are seeing struggling now in the drought as it becomes drier. Really interesting then that you've got a lot of ficus, you've got some magnolia which is struggling, but I presume, I can't imagine that you're not trying to increase species diversity for all the reasons that we know to Im improve um, resistance to host-specific pests and diseases, etc. So how is that with the climate that you have in Santa Monica? What other species are you trying to introduce? So we have one of our um, sustainability metrics that I spoke about in the master plan um, is that we, got, we went for 10% uh, genus, 5% species. Yeah. And in our master plan as well, we have all our species mapped out um, for our street trees, at least for the, for the main bulk of our trees. So we at, at really a planting space level. So we know for all our planting spaces we have on our streets, this is the primary species and this is the secondary species. Brilliant. So those three that we've spoken about are really the ones that we're trying to reduce down. Everything else is below that 10%, 5% threshold. And because we've already pre-selected our species, we can actually project forward what the urban forest will look like in 40 to 50 years time when we've had the natural turnover of all our planting spaces. So as things die, we remove trees. And we're, we're very lucky. We're about, on our streets, we're about 96% stocked. 
so we don't have many spaces for trees that we can't that are that don't have a tree that we can have a tree um and um you know so everything's mapped out but the sort of species we're, we're bringing in are things like and, and they won't you know you won't have them in the uk many of them but we have like afrocarpus which is a very large headed uh, green headed tree similar to ficus in look but doesn't come with as many of the, the problems that we get with ficus so we're kind of you know we're trying to also we're, we're trying to swap out trees so they can't we're trying to because we have avenues in santa monica so we have monocultures people call them monocultures but each block has a selected one species or two species and then we just have to make sure all the blocks have different species selected and many people would be like oh my goodness that's that's like kind of monoculture planting we found that the community likes to have tree consistency the same and I would say from a management point of view, it's important because that means your trimming program can be geared in towards what species you have. So you don't have to trim everything, you know, because a lot of cities, we prune everything every four years. Well, many species need either more than that or need to be at least inspected more than that or less than that. So, you know, it means that we've got a five-year five pruning program, a three-year pruning program, a two-year pruning program. And uh, for downtown um, for Palms, we have a one-year pruning program. So we have four different pruning programs sort of working alongside each other in our city. So again, it allows us to dial in our urban forestry um, inspection pruning program. And I like to say that we're inspecting on those regimes. We're not pruning on those regimes because if we inspect trees, if they need to be pruned, we prune them. If they don't, then we move on. People who know me know I'm a big proponent of less pruning, not more pruning. Yeah. And how do you um, so manage, sorry to interrupt you, but how do you manage the public perception of not pruning as much as people might like or... Is it through your excellent community work that people understand your rationale? Yeah, through the, through the neighbourhood groups, through our task force. And if, and if you know, people can always request off-schedule prunes. I mean, I'm lucky I have, um, you know, very good staff that are good at communicating. Um, and, you know, if, if you know, if it, obviously if it's touching the house or it's, um, you know, creating a nuisance, we'll try and do something. We're not like, we're not like hey, no way, it's the tree outside your home, you, you just have to live with it. Because um, I, you know, I understand. I try and understand it from the homeowner's point of view. Yeah. But we also need to, you know, we're trying to build canopy cover. We're trying to wound our trees less. Um, we're trying to maintain health. And again, we got a drought in on the top. You know, we yeah. want to be not creating more stress and already stressed trees. So, so you know, we're trying to be as sensitive about it um, as possible. Um, so, but the sort of species we're bringing in. Sorry, get back to that. Is Afrocarpus things like carrot woods. Well, Italian stone pines, um, I know you have over there. Then we've got like, uh, where we've got very small tree wells, or we've got um, real sort of like uh, drought issues, or we know there's no water, there's no supplemental water. Then we're planting things like Palo Verde. Um, we're planting things like um, African sumac. Um, there's, I think we've got, yeah, we've got some, you know, we've, we've got a variety of, of different smaller growing species that are very drought resistant that we're trying to bring in. Um, where we've got space, we're also using some more of the different eukes. We have a lot of eucalyptus here, but we're moving away from things like blue gums. Um, we're using a lot of lemon-scented gums. We're using uh, ghost gums. Um, we're using um, what's that? Um, using um, what's the other one we're using at the moment? Anyway, it'll come to me in a moment. But you know, we're we're sort of like you know coming. At, you know, we've been looking at where some of the different ones are. Um, you know, some of the different species that are being sort of recommended. Within LA as well, we have a street something called the Street Seminar, and they they put out a great book that is all about different street tree species that you can try. We're also very lucky we have um, locally to us we have Matt Ritter, who's a, a you know like an incredible tree specialist. 
tree expert. He's out of uh, the university at San, my pronunciation of towns is horrible, but anyway, a university just north of here. Um, but he's, he's got uh, written a book called The Trees Amongst Us, and he's just done a new version of it. And it, yeah, so, you know, we're obviously always looking for different species, taking recommendations, working with local consultants, arborists as well. Um, you know, species is a, is a choice as well. And we've, and we've also, we try and be flexible. So if species aren't working, we have to be prepared to move them. We, we try to plant uh, Catalina ironwoods, which were local to this area. Um, and, but they just didn't work for us. We don't know why they didn't work for us as street trees, just because they were native. You know, as we know, right, doesn't mean they're going to work that well in a tree well on a street in the middle of, um, in the middle of Santa Monica. Um, and we are trying to plant as well. I, I, you know, I, I should note, note that we are trying to plant, plant more natives. So um, Af um, California oaks, we're trying to plant more of. Um, California sycamore trees, which are very similar to London plane trees, but they're, you know, they're, uh, um, they're native to this area. We also plant uh, uh, Mexican sycamores, which tend to be a little bit more upright. Um, California sycamores are a little bit more out of riverbeds, um, and they tend to sort of like, they tend to sort of drift over a little bit. They're not necessarily that upright. When I'm out on a walk With my tree lady talk I can tell you I'm in Um, we've talked about the um, the public realm. Let's talk about private trees because approximately fifty percent of your urban forest is in private ownership. Correct. So there are no laws, there are no tree preservation orders, so people are free to do what they will. Is there a are people do they have the attitude that they need to protect their property against trees and all the bad stuff they can do? Or is there generally a feeling that trees are good for us through the communication and community engagement outreach that you do? Or is it a complete mishmash like it is in the UK? I would say it's a mishmash. Um, and I, I would say that, I'm, you know, I think the problem is, is that trees are becoming very expensive. Um, and, I, and I recently spoke at a conference and, I'm, and, you know, they're nearly becoming luxury items. Um, and as the sort of arb industry explodes with oh we do all these services and we do this and you have to do that um you know and then people you know are worried about insurance and and all the other side of it um I, I think there's a lot of reasons why um people are concerned about owning trees or having trees um so much as you know yeah you know we need to be very careful as an industry that we don't um we don't make trees too expensive to own um and um and i think the other problem is is we you know, we have an industry where we have a lot of companies that just focus on pruning and removals um, and we don't have and they're not focused on planting. And, and you know, if you think about what, what it, what's the definition of deforestation, it's really kind of I'm not sure. You know, I can't obviously say, per, uh, you, know, if the, you know, exactly what the definition is, but it's really when you remove trees or you remove canopy cover, but you don't really have any interest or concern about where it's coming from. And what we know about, I think, in the urban forest, particularly, you know, not I'm not talking about urban forest with area that have a lot of woodland areas we don't have any natural areas really at all in santa monica is that there's no natural regeneration so the forest isn't going to come back it, it's not like a uh, you know a fish the fish are not going to you know respawn and come back so if we're not actively putting back those trees in people's gardens um there's a good chance that we'll never see those trees again um in in los angeles we also are desperately short on housing we have a massive homeless problem so 
cities being pushed to add more and more housing to their um, to their land. Um, ADU, so that means that uh, to build like alternative dwelling units means converting the garage or building an extension. Those laws are becoming looser. So if it, building, you know, we're building out, um, and all the time that we build out, it means we're reducing the space for trees. Um, and also, you know, we have a lot of overhead utilities. You know, London, I think, has a, a lot of problems as well with utilities. You know, and, and if you don't put a tree right back right away, then but by the time you do come back, there's a fire hydrant there, or there's a, you know, there's a post box, or there's a some sort of other infrastructure in the way. So um, it, it's it's becoming a real problem. And I think a lot of tree industry, a lot of the tree industry as well. I, I don't think the ethics are that high. I mean, I think you know, we're, we're, as an industry, you know, as um, you know, how, how, you know, for for us, I think you just have to read a short statement and sign off on it, and, that, and that's it. Or you know, it's not like we have a vast amount of ethics training. Um, and, and I know that there's a you know a lot of companies that are very profit orientated, and therefore pruning trees um, or removing trees is just about quick profits. They're not necessarily thinking about it. And and I, let me just sh um, our latest canopy study that was done by Planet Geo. Um, so here it is. Here's our one page we had done. So just so I get this right, so we looked at canopies, you know, we're constantly looking at how the canopies change. Um, but this is the first time we were able to really break out um, private canopy from public. And we found out that in the, in the public realm, which we manage, right, that 50%, we were able to add six acres of canopy cover between 2014 and 2020. But in the private realm, we lost 33 acres in just six years. Um, and, then, and then when we broke it out into land uses, Again, it's that residential single, you know, it's the single home residential um, areas where we lost, um, because we, we actually gained some canopy cover in some of the private areas, but that's where we lost 36 acres of um, canopy cover in just six years, which I think equates for, we worked out, equates for just under probably 4,000 trees. But, you know, that's in, you know, we're a city of, you know, 90,000 people and eight square miles. So this is happening very, very rapidly. I don't think there's anyone taking much of a leadership role on it. No one really knows who's responsible for it and who's looking at it. And you've got all these little tree companies working in their little bubbles, not really considering the fact that if they take out the apple tree and they, you know, they coppice the, you know, the Chinese elm or whatever, they, they do whatever, that it doesn't have an impact on the um, urban forest as a whole. And, they, you know, they, and there's also, you know, unfortunately, the UK, I've never seen so many pointless crime reductions. Um, but we also have a lot of pointless crime reductions going on here the whole time. Um, and, and a lot of it is just, you know, I think we've done, as an industry, we've done a good job of kind of like fooling the public um, into, rec you know, into be able to recommend more work. You know, we're becoming like the healthcare industry. We were kind of, oh, yeah, you definitely need to prune your trees every year. You definitely need to do this. You definitely need to add this chemical and do that. And, and it's all being driven by profit. But the problem is, is that the you know, the, the urban forest is declining very, very rapidly. And, 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 and you know, I, I was at a conference and literally the, the speaker before me was talking about, you know, how good it is we're adding green jobs. And it's a bit like, you know, we're just, we're just kind of speeding up what's going on. Um, because, you know, when I come down the freeway every morning, all I see is tree trimming trucks. I mean, I, I remember when I first started, if you heard a chainsaw, you'd be like, oh my God, there's a chain. And you'd be, you'd, you know, because there were so few tree surgery companies. But now there's tree surgeons seem to be absolutely, you know, in the UK, I'm sure it's the same. But here, there's arborists everywhere. Here they have bucket trucks as well. They have large machineries. They can go much quicker as well. You don't, you don't. So basically, if you can start a chainsaw, you, you know, you pretty much, you could be a tree surgeon or an arborist. 
Um, and again, on the freeway in the mornings, you just see tree truck after tree truck. You know, a lot more tree trucks have ever seen before. Um, obviously, we have concerns about uh, wildfires here. So there's a lot of tree trimming around utilities going on, which, you know, which I understand. Um, but also that, you know, there's a lot of companies that, you know, and you see them working and, you know, you're thinking, why, why, is, why is a homeowner doing that to their trees? Why is that, you know, and, and it's just really just topping, you know, and again, we all like to use, we're talking You know, about it's such a shame that you're losing private trees at a time when the climate is becoming warmer and drier, just at a time that people need their shade. They, they can use less air conditioning because they've got a tree shading their property. And I just wonder what more we can do as an industry to encourage people that big is not bad, you know, that it doesn't need to be manicured. Um, you can just let the tree do its thing, uh, providing it's safe and healthy and all the benefits. And I'm quite sure that you're doing that. Um, I'm not looking for this rhetorical question, really, but I just wonder what more we can do in terms of education. Uh, yeah, and I think that... Um... I think we have to. I think as a. I think as an industry, we have to work harder on ethics. I, th I think we have to. We have to. We also have to understand that the private mm. industry and the public, the, the private and the public industry, have to work more together. The, the problem we have in the urban forest is you have. It's not just like a sustainable urban forest where you tend to have one landowner, so you can easily control the ins and outs. Here we have hundreds, if not thousands, of landowners. Um, as well as the city, um, and they all have to kind of work it in some level in unison. I, th I mean, I think the tree preservation yes. orders and obviously conservation um, areas in the UK are very, very helpful um, because they, they help with where they help with that. Um, you know, as long as the enforcement is there, which is, is oh yes, fun. yes, I've done that. Mm. Very miserable to do as well for those of us who <laughs> try to work in the plan in the planning side. It's it's a miserable thing. Um, but I do think, you know, we need, like we've done in Santa Monica, I think we need more of this. Um, we need to be communicating out more to the public um, that, you know, if we just keep thinking we're doing stuff in our back gardens that isn't impacting the urban forest as a whole, um, you know, then mm. we're wrong. Uh, we have to be looking at it. We have to understand that canopy cover metric. Um, and we have to be kind of like, you know, be prepared to sort of like not be just removing trees, um, but be a little bit more understanding of the benefits they provide or create space for them. And you're right, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be, we don't necessarily have to have giant trees in everyone's backyard, but you know, maybe a couple of small canopy trees that we fit in along with the, you know, the ADU, the alternative dwelling unit or the extension or add more vegetation. Um, maybe, you know, as an industry, we need to be a little bit more responsible about not trying to get people to prune their trees every year um but you know try and be you know understand that we can we should be doing less wounding trying to preserve canopy cover um not just sort of like harvest 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 um and, and that's you know what i see we, we you know i mean i used to be one of the chainsaw gang as well right you know get the harness on get the rope on get the get up the tree and start cutting things off it um so i understand that but um it, it, the industry is like really missing a trick we can't be expecting Girl guides and the Cub Scouts and you know some landscapers to put back what we're having you know great fun removing um, or, or crime reducing. You know we we need to link the two up and I and I would challenge any tree company that you know you need to be putting back as much as you take because if you're not then in my mind you're really the same as the the guy out in the Amazon rainforest right now cutting down mahogany trees without really any concern at all about if anyone or other come back and plant a new one. 
so that that's kind of what I that's how I see it. I mean, I'm very cynical, um, but I've certainly seen it in the UK. I've seen it in New York, and I'm you know I see it here in in Santa Monica. Um, and I'm lucky in Santa Monica because we're a very green community. We've got very wealthy people. If we think about Maslow's theory and self-actualization, you know, wealthy people tend to be more concerned about bigger picture things. Um, so, you know, just because they have the resources and because they're concerned, they, you know, they're not worried about food and shelter and all the other problems you need to get through before you can start worrying about whether you've got a street tree or whether you've got nice trees in the park or keeping the trees healthy in your garden. Um, so, I, you know, I've already got a very sort of a group that's very sort of engaged and, and wants to see that. They're pushing hard at the moment for a private yes. tree ordinance because they can, because when they see this data, they're upset about it because they want to live in a high quality green environment. That's part of the reason they live in Santa Monica. Because when you, you know, when you travel from L.A. into Santa Monica, you often will be going from a place with very few trees, street trees included, into suddenly all oh, the street identity. trees everywhere. It's a bit mm. like, you know, you're in Santa Monica because, you know, you spend a lot of money planting trees, maintaining trees. Um, you know, and I think that, you know, getting the message out there, trees are good, you know, eye tree and things like that, that they're, they're useful tools, but you have to couple them up with laws, ordinances, requirements to keep urban greening, to minimize the size of um, mm -hmm. footprints of new buildings, to encourage people maybe to build up rather than build out. I know it's more expensive to build up. Um, but to be adding trees back as part of part of new development to make sure that cities are planting street trees everywhere they can have street trees to make sure that we're not over pruning the trees that we do have because that's obviously going to create them to demise quicker and but you know some of those things it can't we can't be expected the municipalities we can't expect the poor tree officers given all this um, all these private tree companies also have a responsibility to be actually doing the right thing. Um, in people's gardens and in backyards and being promoting urban forestry as well because you know as I don't know if you maybe when I you know when I speak I always have one of my last slides yes. is a picture of the golden goose because trees really are the golden goose right they'll, they'll you know if you, you don't you don't kill it then you can keep coming back and you can keep pruning it it's going to keep providing benefits and so on and so forth but unfortunately if we just think mm. to make the most money right now I'm going to remove this tree then it's done um, and I know that's a very kind of like, you know, kind of a kind of a childish link in some ways, but it's it's you know, here in Santa Monica where we we're looking at these things, we know that we've probably lost, wow. you know, three and a half thousand trees in people's backyards in just six years. So if you you know if you work in that, if you work in the industry, yes. that's a lot of that's a lot of work that you just you're never going to see again because those trees are gone. So it, it's you know, so as an industry, you have we have to be more engaged with it. And I'm not I'm not here to point fingers or to, or to blame people. Um, but, you know, and again, you know, when we can't be a board mm. culturalist anymore. Mm. Right. That, that, you know, that's great. But we have to be urban foresters as well. We have to have two hats. We have to be thinking about being given the best care for this tree that's in front of me, but also understanding that what we do at this at this tree level is impacting the urban forest as a whole. And, and we can't just depend on, you know, we can't depend on the municipalities, we can't depend on um, other people to be doing it. We have to be actively engaged in it. And and just to kind of um, yes. finish, and I know we talked, to, or not to finish, but to talk a little bit about the urban tree canopy study. Um, you know, we, we have to also not, as an industry, we have to be, we're not, we have to not be supporting, you know, greenwashing, as I know Jeremy Farrell uses that term, and I, I'm a big believer in it. We can't have mayors saying that, you know, by planting a thousand trees, we're going to shift the needle on canopy cover. Because if, 
we've planted a thousand trees in public spaces, but we've removed 10,000 trees in the public realm. Obviously, we're not going the right way. So, you know, like, you know, we only control 50% of the urban forest in Santa Monica. So I think, we, you know, as a city, we don't say we're yes. going to try and increase canopy cover in the city by something that we don't control. Now that we can kind of break public and private, we can say, yes, we're going to try and increase public tree canopy from, you know, by, you know, 10 acres next in the next 10 years, mm -hmm. or, or we're going to try and increase it by a couple of percentage because we can measure the two separately now. Um, but we certainly shouldn't be saying, oh, we're going to increase it when we only control 50% of it. We can't say it as citywide. Absolutely. And so the work you've had by, is it Planet Geo? Yeah, Planet Geo, correct. Yeah, that's really, really helped you understand that. So that's excellent. Yeah, we've gone from doing canopy covers every 10 years, which was in the one of our sustainability metrics, to now we're doing it every two years because it's so much more affordable. I mean, they're really photographing the surface of the earth, you know, nearly on a weekly basis, if not more often than that. So, you know, GIS is a very powerful tool to really understand what's going on in the um, urban forest as a whole. And I, and I really think it's going to shine a torch more on what's happening in our industry. And I think we need, as an industry, we need to jump on that. Um, and, you know, and our other, sorry, just to talk about sustainability metrics in Santa Monica, we have, we have some annual ones, which I report out on, and that's species diversity, which you already spoke about. Um, so we can see the trees we want less of going down and the trees we want more of going up. Um, net tree gain, how many trees do we remove, how many do we plant, the most basic metric of them all. Um, and also stocking level. So we know how many space, we know how many places we can have the street trees. We're lucky we have good GIS data. So it, it's like, you know, you can see that our street tree level is slowly going up. And like, I think it was at like when I first got here, it was like 94%. And now we're up to like 96%. You know, our goal is to get to 100%. Obviously, we'll probably never quite get to 100%. Um, but then on our, we have five year metrics, which is just our eye tree study. So how much environmental benefits are we getting? And then it's our mortality study. So we try and go out and look at all the trees we're planting after five years, how many are still alive versus how many aren't. So again, so again, it helps us understand is, is our planting program effective or is it, is it just a waste of time? And then the last one was our 10 year metric was the canopy cover study. But now, because we can do it on a far more often basis because of companies like Planetier, we're now doing that every two years. So we need to update our master plan and we keep looking at that. But, but I found that, you know, canopy cover is very effective in, in, in talking to communities about what's going on in their neighborhood. So we do our canopy study at a neighborhood level. Street, at, at a city level, that's great. But I find personally that people who live in one neighborhood don't really understand what's, and want to under, wants to know what's going on in their neighborhood and also can relate to that. You know, what's going on in the city as a whole is interesting, but I want to know what's going on in my neighborhood. We also, we also actually have the canopy tool available through our website currently. So you can actually click around, you know, on each block and actually see how the canopy covers changed over the lot between 2014, 2020. Again, that's a tool provided by Planet Geo. Um, but, but then if you, you know, because there's also lots of photography of the, of the earth as well, um, you can pretty much look at a block, find where the canopy covers dropped off significantly. And then you can actually pull up some old photos and there's a good chance you can see, oh, you know, that house is much bigger, that house is much bigger so on and so forth. So you can kind of understand what you kind of know is going on, but you can actually get photos of it, which is, which is kind of, you know, good and, you know, interesting as well. And, um, you know, helps, helps better understand and paint the picture for the community about what, what's going on in their city. Fascinating. And I wonder also if there's more that could be done in the media as well, just mainstream TV in Santa Monica to say how great trees are um, in a sort of educational way. That's brilliant. 
I'm, I'm conscious I've taken up so much of your time, Matt. Um, and I just, and also we've, uh, listeners, you won't know this, we've had a couple of in- internet failures. And Matt's deserves a medal and a very large glass of wine and a meal, etc. for me. So thank you. But finally, Matt, what is your dream scenario? It's just, you know, have a, an urban forest where we don't have conflict, right? We're not have, we haven't got conflict between us and developers and homeowners because we're all trying to tell each other what, they, what we can and can't do. Uh, making sure that we're, we're building new homes, new beautiful homes. I want to live in a beautiful home as well, so I don't, I'm not saying I don't want to be a hypocrite. Um, but homes that are also built in, in sort of, in, you know, in unison or in equilibrium with some amount of tree cover. Let's make sure that we've got places for trees. Let's make sure that we're putting in the street trees at the front of the house when we do that. Let's make sure we're putting some trees in the front garden, in the back garden. My thing wishes is that the private industry gets a little bit more proactive in helping city foresters, um, urban foresters, arboriculturalists to actually preserve trees. Um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily see enough of that. Thank you so much for that really in-depth oversight of what it's like in Santa Monica. There are lessons here that we can learn um, about drought-resistant trees, but there is so much also, there are universal subjects that we've talked about, about the loss of trees in private ownership, um, about people needing to be educated, the general public about the benefits of trees and about the real importance of metrics so that we can actually show what's happening, measure it and see where things are going well and when they're not to help us focus resources. So Matt, what an absolute joy to speak to you. Thank you so much for your time. No, an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, Sharon, for inviting me to speak. I really enjoyed it. Two reminders from me before you go. If you've enjoyed this episode, it would be great if you could share it with your friends and family and consider subscribing to the show to make sure you don't miss any episodes. You can find us on Instagram at TreeLadyUK and on the website TreeLadyTalks.co.uk. And if you just want to get in touch, send me an email to noel at TreeLadyTalks.co.uk. Well, he's a lovely guy, Matt, I have to say, and uh, he was equally lovely and uh, not rock starish at all when uh, our internet went down no less than four times during that interview. And uh, Sharon <laughs> decided that the only way that she could actually make it up to him was by offering stuff that uh, she just thought, you know, uh, it's so embarrassing, I've just got to offer everything I possibly can to you. And so <laughs> here's the outtake of how that went. Right, it's gone from wine, Correct. beer, Correct. to a meal, Correct. to your kind of come and stay here with your girlfriend. I mean... <laughs> oh, we haven't even sorted out the Airbnb yet, I tell you. The dogs know nothing about it. But Matt, listen, you're very welcome. Um, and I'm absolutely thrilled to bits. I can't wait for the next time the internet goes down. Although, to be honest, we are changing the internet provider as I'm from next week. So, uh, unfortunately, it's unlikely that the internet's ever going to go down again. So, we're not likely to have 600 people here because of internet dropout. In the meantime, all I can say to you, Matt, is rock on, pal. Tree Lady Talk.